Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Akila S. Richards is passionate about mindful partnerships and parenting. Since 2016, she hosts Fairer of the Free Child, a lifestyle and parenting podcast about the connection between liberation, learning, and parenting, particularly among Black, non-Black, Indigenous, and people of color by POC communities. Parents, educators, unschoolers, and entrepreneurs tune in weekly to connect about unschooling, deschooling, conscious parenting, and self-directedness. Discussions center around emotional wellness, learning in children, parenting, self-care, and self-love. The voice and work of this Jamaican-born digital nomad have been featured on NPR, Forbes, NBC TV, Good Morning America's blog, and in several literary and in-person spaces throughout the U.S., Jamaica, and South Africa. The TEDx speaker, digital content writer, and facilitator's highly anticipated book, Raising Free People, Unschooling as Liberation and Healing Work by PM Press, will be released in the fall of 2020. Congratulations on that, Akila. Thank you so very much, Monica. <laughs> you know, I, I was actually, when I booked this, thinking, wow, I wonder if she has a book. So that's going to come out very soon. Yeah, and it's actually my 10th book, but it's the first one that I am not self-publishing, but all the other ones are still on Amazon. And I love the process of just writing the book and not having to do all the other pieces. <laughs> yeah, well, and are all of the books on the subject of unschooling? You know, I think that everything is about unschooling. So if you ask me, the answer would be yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> However, some of them were written before we really immersed ourselves in unschooling work, but all of them are de-schooling. All of them are about personal leadership. All of them are about life design because I'm always in one of those zones. I love that. I often talk, Akilah, about the process of unbecoming. I feel like the first half of my life was about learning how to follow the rules and the next half of my life is all about breaking them, you know? Yes. <laughs> I really, I love this topic so much. Um, my own children have gone to a Waldorf school, but I've often looked into the unschooling movement. And I'd love to start by asking you how this all started for you and m maybe about a little bit more about your upbringing. Sure, definitely. It's, it's really funny because <laughs> people who are either Caribbean themselves or very familiar with Caribbean folks or Jamaicans, they're like, how in the world is a Jamaican family unschooling? Because <laughs> it's so, it's like I laugh, but some of it is funny and some is kind of like, ha ha hell. Because it's really, we come from a very British colonial idea of what it means to you know, like be out of your house and be very performative and very polite. And, you know, all of these things, proximity to whiteness is the goal in all of the different ways. And so, and also the fear, the idea that the people in power didn't look or sound like you. And so as an adult, your job was to try to 
allow your children as much as possible to assimilate so that they can be safe and they can um, make progress. So the idea of Caribbean people in particular deciding that their children are free to like live their lives and, and be who they are and our job is to partner with them feels really absurd <laughs> to a lot of Caribbean people. And it did for me at first too. But how it started for my partner, Chris and me, is that our daughters, Marley and Sage, who are now 16 and 14, they had such a level of consistent pushback around conventional education that it eventually got me and Chris to stop being like extensions of the school system and actually start listening to our daughters. And that's really what fueled the transition. So they were in elementary school, in a public school. They were doing really great because it's elementary school and, you know, ba their basic needs were taken care of. They were both labeled gifted and talented and went up a couple of grades and, and all the checklist things. And though they were progressing academically, you know, <laughs> even in elementary school, emotionally, they were shrinking. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that Chris and I started to notice. And we're like, this feels really uncomfortable. But I guess this is just like the adjustment that they'll make because school is hard. Hey, life is hard and blah, blah, blah. And they're going to get stronger as a result of working through the problems that they're having. And, you know, a lot of the things that we really believe is responsible parenting. And it feels like it at the time. So they continue to push back and you know, Marley, our oldest, would talk about how she has so many thoughts, but she doesn't have time to think her thoughts because someone else is telling her what she should do with her time and their thoughts are more important than hers. And we're like, why where are you getting this from? That's ridiculous. You know, we just couldn't <laughs> connect to it as valid. It just felt like something that would go away. But we also noticed that on top of her just vocalizing her concerns, she also was becoming different. She wasn't comfortable asking questions if she wasn't sure of, about the answer to begin with. Just very schoolish things, as I call them. Sage, our youngest, who's a very comfortable introvert, would say that they, they were peopling on her and that she was really uncomfortable and that when she got home, all she wanted to do was like be in her room because of all the peopling. And, you know, so Monica, after a while, we just started really paying attention to those things and saying, okay, if they're continuing to tell us that the place that they go and spend the majority of their like waking hours, it doesn't feel good for them. And we, as the adults that we want, the adults that we want them to have the most trust in are saying, they're there, hun. We hear your words. However, this is what we understand. So you just need to push through. Wouldn't that like affect their capacity to trust us? Wouldn't that make us less trustworthy? And so it felt like we needed to figure out what to do. And then after a few months of wrestling with that, they were in school for about two years altogether. But after a few months of recognizing and then wrestling with what to do, we realized that the first thing was to just withdraw them from school, stop sending them to the place that they were not comfortable and maybe figure out what to do from there. So that is really how we got started with the idea that learning needed to look differently than had looked in the past. What's coming up for me is, first of all, just how courageous it was to take them out. I, I often think of, you know, this, just this phenomenon that you're talking about as it relates to academic growth at the expense of their emotional wellness. Mm -hmm. And, 
I have heard this over and over and over again. I also, um, I have two children as well. I have a boy and a girl. Um, my son has just turned 15. My daughter is 18. And I had almost like an unnatural anxiety as it related to making sure that I was going to get them actually in the, the Waldorf education. I was so worried when I married my husband and we decided to have children mm-hmm. that like this was even before I had children because of my own upbringing and my own really struggle through school and finally feeling like I could be myself when mm. when I got to the Waldorf school and you t- you had talked about kind of watching them their person their personalities kind of diminish and I and I think you know there's nothing more disheartening as a parent when we see our children stop becoming animated or self-expressed yes exactly exactly and that's the thing that Chris and I were just really wrestling with because so much of what we felt was the right thing to do was really to help them become more acclimated to school. You know, that like we never could have imagined that our role (laughs) was actually to listen to them and honor what they felt they needed in terms of agency and autonomy. It was more so like, well, you're a new human and the way of the world is schooling. And so my job is to acclimate you to that. And that's why for me, unschooling, very much is about partnership. It isn't about whether they are in or not in school. For some children, it is. But really, the overarching thing is that it's a trustful relationship between parent and child or you know, intergenerationally that is really about building confident autonomy. And a huge part of confident autonomy is that you feel, one, a sense of ownership to some extent over your time and tasks but also that you're in trustful relationships with people in power, which in my daughter's case, it's Chris and me. We are the people in the positions of power who help to make decisions about their lives. And just like with government for me, if I don't feel like <laughs> they're, they have my best interest at heart or they're even listening to me, then I'm not in a trustworthy relationship. And trust was more important than whatever could happen academically because they could learn a thing whenever. But if they weren't in trustful relationships, that was going to impact everything, all of their relationships, their entire capacity to live and be, let alone to learn, you know? Yeah, I do. And, and I know that this is probably old hat for you, but for the sake of our listeners and our audience, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what it was like then to... I often think about, you know, when we go against the current, (laughs) when we go against Mm -hmm. the tide, there is inevitably a tremendous amount of pressure and conflict and second guessing that goes into making decisions that go against the flow of kind of the way society works. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and how did you not succumb to it? And maybe you did at times, right? We're human. Certainly. Yeah, sure, sure. So, of course, most definitely, we had those things. We have layers and layers of that that look like everything from, oh, my God, they're going to be like less smart now because school is where you go to get smart, to me being someone who my family migrated from Jamaica to the U.S. and very much bought into the American dream, which had so much to do with proximity to whiteness. So you needed to be groomed in spaces where you sounded a certain way and all of that. All of those things that felt like, oh my gosh, I'm like going against what my 
poor parents were working so hard to create because what if my kids don't X, Y, Z? All of those things were very much present and we didn't like put them away after a few months in a neat little box and, you know, go into liberation work. All of it, you know, as we say back home, everything is everything. You know, whatever it is that you're dealing with, there's an opposite to that and there are all these nuances in between. So what was really helpful for me at the time was to know, I call it just serving multiple gods. Like what, what is the God that I'm serving at the moment? What is my focal point? Is it what may or may not happen? Or is it what I know for sure is happening? That was the question that I was constantly asking myself. Chris was constantly asking me, we were asking each other and what we kept relying on and falling back on is the knowledge that what we know for sure is that Marley and Sage are saying that they do not want to be there. They don't want to go into the classroom and spend that time. If we know that for sure, which we do, then is it possible for another structure to emerge as a result of us honoring what is present and also just continuing to be present? And we figured maybe. <laughs> so it wasn't conclusive. It wasn't you know, for sure. It just felt like we know what's not working and that has to be enough because one of the major conversations that he and I had repeatedly, Monica, was that we are raising what, who will become black women mm. in America, even though we travel to other places, primarily we're in America. What a disservice we would do to two black women if we groomed them in a space that basically mimicked what happens outside of a safe home structure where the people in power are saying, in order for me to value your opinion, your perspective, your life, your all of these things, you need to do these things to make me comfortable. You need to perform in this way. You need to show up this way. You need to impress, produce all of these. That's why I say we can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. That phrasing came to me as a result of really being with the same thing you ask, like, how do I go against these things and, and be okay? So for me, I wasn't really looking at the things we were going against. I just kept going back to what we do know now and that our intention was to build a trustful relationship with Marley and Sage where learning was still happening, but that they didn't feel like the people they were supposed to trust the most were just not trustworthy. That, that fueled a lot of things for us, Monica. And then Logistics also helped a lot because when we left traditional schooling or conventional, sorry, I never call it tradition because tradition is actually mm. much more holistic and beautiful, but conventional education, when we left that, there were so many rewards. It was really hard, of course, for all the reasons that you mentioned and all the reasons many of us listening can imagine. But it also meant, for example, that we could go back to Jamaica, for example, in April. Or in September, when no one else was traveling and when the prices were low because we weren't like under the, the guise of what was happening in school in terms of a schedule and high season and low season. So it meant we could go to Jamaica during quote unquote school time, which means the tickets were less expensive, which meant wherever we were staying was less expensive. So we're like, oh. So we don't need to have a million dollars first before we can take the kids. <laughs> like just looking at all of the disguised gifts from yes. 
<laughs> and also what I'm hearing is that there was something in you that wasn't actually looking for permission or approval nah. around you to do this. Exactly. Exactly. Because I mean, story of my life, so much of what I have done, even before becoming Marley and Sage's mama was, you know, contrary to what looked like the right thing to do. I got a full scholarship to Florida State. And I said no to it because it was in Florida and I didn't want to be in Florida because that's where I went to high school and I wanted something different. And I went to Clark Atlanta, which was a private school. And, you know, I figured it out. We had zero dollars, my family and me. I still figured it out and got multiple small scholarships and worked primarily throughout college. Like my, I have a pattern of making a decision that doesn't come with a bunch of certainty but feels like it's the right direction. I know how to do that. And I'm a big fan of the word feels <laughs> because, <laughs> because again, I think that if you were to kind of look at how we're raised in society, we're raised to negate our feelings. We're raised to override our feelings and suck it up and yeah. do it anyway. And I love that you said, you know, that you talked to Marley and Sage about this and it became you know, family decision, and that their happiness or their unhappiness in this case was a good enough reason for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I often think, again, like how I call it the oracle of the obvious, because it's always right in front of us. But again, I believe so many of us are entranced into these systems that don't serve us, have possibly never served us, Yep. It's just what we know. It's what we know. They were always designed to, you know, really make us into productive citizens. And then you look at, at what cost, you know, and I go back to what you said about academic growth. Well, what about just the financial well-being of a family at the cost of not, I mean, these families are growing up, they don't know each other, they're, they're living in their own house, they're not. And again, like, we all struggle with this. Yep. And it, you know, the school system, when I think about just again, like the fact that we spend most of our lives not being together, it starts to just seem insane. Exactly. And that's exactly what I think is happening right now. Like with this pandemic that we are living through, a lot of what we see as issues in education are really issues about human relationships. We don't know because we have very little language, let alone practice for being ourselves together. What we know how to do is perform together. The version of me that my mom knows is the version that my mom needs to know. Mm. The version of me that my kid knows, all of that stuff. And right now, since everybody's at home and we're still trying to plug into the old normal from a new normal that's trying to emerge, that is not going to work. So a lot of it is like, my kid won't do this and we need to figure out what education looks like. No, we need to rehumanize our communication and our relationships so that what actually can allow us to thrive emotionally and logistically and educationally can emerge. But it cannot emerge out of the same structure that is designed to either make us food or have us make the food. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. And 
And uh, I think the point that you're making too about the relational skills, these are skills not only we're seeing lacking in families, but the world over. Yes. I, I want to kind of now talk more about how you see unschooling as related to really liberation. Yeah, it is. They're so interconnected for me, just as you mentioned, Monica, about the the unlearning, you know, the things that you realize at a certain stage in your life, you transitioned from the doing as you're told and all of that into a more a space of introspection and going in the direction of what I call confident autonomy. That is liberation. That is sovereignty. And I think that one of the easiest spaces for us as adults to recognize where things are not sovereign is in relationship to children, because we tend as society to see them, I think, similarly to the way that people who colonized saw colonized people. They saw them as fertile space and land to cultivate, to make something useful out of and from at the expense of the people. And you do that not necessarily by intentionally doing it at the expense of the people, like when we think about colonization typically, but we do it sometimes inadvertently because of the environment of colonization. So for me, unschooling is akin to de-schooling, is akin to decolonization, is akin to unlearning. And when you start to do those things, there's a process where you feel Something isn't right because we're human and we feel or something happens and it it invites a particular feeling. And then you move from that feeling to questioning it. You ask, you, you really allow yourself to be with it. And then you look at trust. Where is there not trust? Where is there trust? Where's there suppression, oppression? How am I participating in that? What can I start doing differently? Usually the answer is to listen okay, what do I do when I listen and I feel uncomfortable? Usually the answer is to observe how you're responding instead of weaponizing the feeling. These are all unschooling skills. So the reason that I I see it as very much tied to liberation is because it allows you to question and to unlearn so that a structure that is human and partnership-centered and equitable, not equal, but equitable, can emerge in, in relationship to whether it's your child or another adult, because when you unschool, you don't unschool your child, you unschool together. So as they are sitting in their room, staring at the screen for that four or five hours, and you're pacing and thinking, this is ridiculous. I need to get in there and talk to them about the study that I read, because I know that kids get addicted to screens. It's not productive, blah, 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 blah. You go through that, but as an unschooler, You allow yourself to question those feelings and say, what is it that I'm afraid of that's going to happen here? Am I sure about that? What is the role of control in this? How much of educational marketing is influencing how I feel here? Can I prove that this thing is, is related to this? Is this more about how... I will feel when my mom or mother-in-law comes and sees that they're in their room. You get to be with all of that, Monica. And so it allows you to free yourself from all of those things that you did when you were super plugged into the matrix and didn't question anything. And then, not necessarily in this order, but it also allows you to free young people to now tell you what they need, like what partnership and support looks like for them so that you can actually do that, so you can be in a trustful relationship. 
that's how those things are connected. And, and it also spills out into your relationships with other people. Why am I judging her for this thing she did? Oh, because I don't like this thing about myself. Oh, can I work on this about myself instead of making this her problem? Did I just turn my issue into a weapon? Yes, I did. I need to apologize because I have language and practice for that now. Because as an unschooler, it's like a third of all I do is apologize for the messed up stuff that I did when I wasn't paying attention. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and and I love now I completely get what you're saying about, you know, that <laughs> the, the unschooling available to us is endless. And, and it's really it's it's fostered and nurtured and expanded inside of these endless questions, this endless. Yes. Yeah, this endless self inquiry. This endless, you know, taking a look and asking the, the questions. Yes, absolutely. And being really getting comfortable over time with the recognition that these questions, that is the path. There, it's not to ask the question to get to the right answer so that you can now be awakened and unschooled at level 10. It is not that at all. It, I call it mad question asking. It's a play on a hip hop term too. That is like, I'm just going mad question ask. I'm going to ask these questions like incessantly because what they're doing is bringing me inward. What they're doing is bringing me into what we absolutely know is like a feminine perspective, moving away from the masculine of thinking and doing over into a question I ask all the time. It used to be on my business card, but how do you want to feel? Mm. But how do you want to feel? Yes, these 17 things are going and these emotions, and, but how do you want to feel? And if we can go in the direction of that for ourselves and honor that for other people, then we're rehumanizing. Now we're talking about, yes, I know what you're saying and I hear how this thing makes you feel. So if I didn't bypass that, but instead tried to develop language and practice so we can work through that together, what a sense of community is emerging here from us learning how to be ourselves together, which is essentially what unschooling and de-schooling, those are the skills that they help us to, to name and practice. So, Akila, how do you, how do you see? I mean, I, oh, I have so many. Talk about having mad questions. I, <laughs> I have, I have mad questions, and I, I love that term. I think I've been a mad question asking diva for a long, long time. Love it. Yeah, yes, you know, since yes. since I was just a little girl, and I often talk about, you know, sitting in church, I think about, you know, some of the religious structures, right? So I grew up Catholic, yep. Catholic and just I just, I really noticed all of the hypocrisies, all of the omissions, all I mean, it was glaringly evident to me, and it would make me feel to use your language, it would make me feel unseen, unheard, unvalidated, yes, unimportant. And it literally would hurt my heart, you know, it would hurt my being. Yeah. And if I look back at you know, my inner child who is now so much happier, <laughs> you know, than she was way back when I yeah. really, I see that point where I just stopped being who I was yeah. because it was easier. Do you know what I mean? It was easier to yes. just give up and conform. Absolutely. And everything and everyone around you rewarded you for that too. You know, and I use that in air quotes, but Absolutely. There's a currency that comes with compliance and it becomes a thing that we either 
end up craving or it's the only thing that allows us to feel safe. Or as you said, we just kind of trans out until something happens, but something will always happen. Always, constantly things are happening that bring us out of that because it is unnatural. And so, you know, religion is another one. It's a very typical thing that people end up reframing or reclaiming or rejecting as a result of an unschooling journey. I remember I created a whole course about spiritual self-care when I realized a part of my de-schooling process was to move away from what I was raised in and to instead really claim and understand spirituality for myself. And so I realized that I missed some of the rituals that came with the things I grew up in. And it took me so much time to give myself permission to just make up something else, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and, to, and then to have that something else feel just as good and valid and bring me into the mental space or spiritual space that I wanted as the other thing used to do when I didn't have a choice. So it, it is very much reclamation work. It is reparenting. It's shadow work. All of that is, it's, you know, moving into the Sophia century in terms of feminine, the feminine energy and, and really respecting and honoring and calling that up and out and through you. That's really what comes up when you really make a commitment to unschool. And I call it raising free people, which includes the self to free the self as well. Uh, I mean, self-liberation is where it starts. It is. It's where when we, I think when we give ourselves permission in all of those ways, that compassion, right, for really, it's it's that phrase of, you know, when we know better, we, we do better. But really, I think offering ourselves self-compassion, especially when we kind of awaken to some of these some of these concepts that can feel, I think, overwhelming because they're they're like a thread. And when we start kind of unraveling all of these conversations that intersect as these, you know, systems become more revealed, you know, mm-hmm. in, in our in our understanding of how they work and we really start, like you say, asking the questions, mm-hmm. it's easy to get overwhelmed and almost start beating ourselves up for not kind of looking at this sooner or whatever it is, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And it's like, and that's, we have to recognize that also as a part of the systems of oppression, because if it isn't feeling good and not moving you towards the direction you're, you're looking to go in, because we know that with feeling, we don't necessarily know that with words because words are so like reductive, (laughs) you know, they're so reductive, especially because language wise, we don't even we're not even speaking our original tongue. No one is. Mm-mm. So many people are not. So what we there's so much that is lost, not forever, but that we can reclaim when we start to do this de-schooling work, when we start doing mad question asking, when we start recognizing that in a lot of instances, including and particularly with children, oftentimes their resistance is the roadmap. It's, it's not the route to something else to try to make them compliant. It's the roadmap to move away, away from that thing, because it really is about the feeling, the humanity in a space. But we're all so steeped and groomed in the opposite of that, the production. Yeah, groomed is yeah. such a perfect word. It's such a perfect word. So I'm so curious, Akila, about what the pandemic. So so just to orient ourselves for a minute, the pandemic I am making up has really started to have 
a ton of questions come up for parents around what alternatives are available to them as it relates to their children in schooling come the fall. And I'm just wondering if your, you know, if your passion of unschooling and your line of work, have you seen an increase in curiosity around it? Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Lots and lots and lots. It's been so beautiful and encouraging because in the middle of this scary thing, it's it's scary in a lot of ways, it's tragic in a lot of ways, but there are also, you know, as so many of us are recognizing, also opportunities here. So a lot of the conversations I'm having are with people who, going back to the feelings, who are like, oh, my, my kid is a different person right now. Mm. Like the apathy has reduced significantly. They're coming downstairs and sitting on the couch, like on purpose, where everyone else is and not like hidden away in their room. That just moves me to my core every time Mm -hmm. because it's an indication that that person was in a harmful space and now they can move over. Or you have people who are seeing how their children are thriving uh, intellectually. You know, they picked up on something and they will not let it go. And, and since they're not going to bed at the exact time that their parents said, you know, all these little schoolish things are now those those fences are lowered. Now they're getting to actually see their child and they want more. of it. <laughs> and I think that's really beautiful. So I am seeing an increase in it. So many of us who are in this movement of self-directed education, particularly for BIPOC families, because for a long time, again, the idea of assimilation and proximity to whiteness, we, you know, all people, no matter what your background is, all of us are indoctrinated. But when you walk around in a black body or in a non-black indigenous body or a person of, of color body, there's another level of suppression of your personhood. There's another level of feeling of necessity to be as normal or regular as possible, which really is talking about Eurocentric as possible so that you're safe. So now people are saying, okay, what, what might it look like to feel safe enough to move outside of conventional education? Because clearly my child feels safe now, but how do I support that in, a, in an anti-Black world, for example, you know, or in a world that, that says the more degrees you have, the better you are, or a world that's so focused on money, which feels very tied to school. Now we get to have these conversations and we get to look at the reality that unschooling is not just for rich white people. Unschooling is not just for people who are in two family households. That's what I love about what my podcast and these other conversations offer. How do people who do not have all the resources and resource land still end up doing these very liberatory partner-centered things. And the fact is, we are doing it. Lots of people are figuring out what does it look like to know my neighbors and to know that these two neighbors actually are retired and they're brilliant and they love being around young people, especially when we're not holding them to a structure of a particular curriculum or curricula. So my kids' interests can really be explored because there's a bakery down the road and we can actually talk to the person who owns that bakery and the three kids who are into baking can be there. And when they're there, there's so much math and science and community building skills that they're going to learn that they would not learn in a classroom just focused on math. But they're going to learn all of that anyway in the bakery and they're going to know the person down the road. So they're not going to go to Kroger or whatever and order a thing. They're going to be in relationship with the actual people. 
this is what happens. This is what happens. I know, right, I know that being careful about how I'm saying this or trying to, because I know that all children are different and nobody, there's no comparison here. And I know because I know it's true for me and I'm going to assume that it's true for you is that when you're, when people meet your children, (laughs) are they often kind of like, where do these uh, magical beings come from? All the time, right? all the time. And I'm like, there's a bunch of us. This yes. is not, and I say, I mean, I even say it to my girls all the time. My oldest, we do workshops together, and especially pre COVID, we were doing them in person. And I would say, y'all, she knows this. She's, she's not extra special. Mm-hmm. And she knows what I mean by that because, of course, she's amazing and special. And, you know, my own little amazing, oh my God, I can't believe you exist for both of my daughters. Also, what you're seeing is not because they are unicorns, it's because they're in relationships with. People in power, adults in the case of children, who respect them as people, who are including them in decisions about their life and time, who allow for their perspectives about life, even with a limited perspective because they're newer humans, we want to make sure they understand that those things matter. And when you treat a human like that, you just have a different type of human. Yes. I mean, yes, yes, yes. I, my... I think, you know, again, when I, my daughter went, so our Waldorf school goes through the eighth grade. And I know that Waldorf is certainly not unschooling, but it's certainly not traditional schooling either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of just the feedback that I always kind of get are, you know, they're so comfortable in their own skin. They're so centered. They're so grounded. They're willing to talk to adults. Mm-hmm. And it's, Again, I go back to kind of that dimming of the light that certainly happened to me. And I feel like I had to fight most of my adult life to figure out who the heck I was when I wasn't looking for validation from everybody else. Yes. And yes. And I've been, I've almost been. I have to say, I've almost been obsessive about protecting my children from influences that want to, you know, control them or so, for example, other parenting advice or, or even even putting it out there, because again, not looking for permission, not looking for agreement for how I raise Mm -hmm. my children. And again, that has served me. But what I really am kind of what I'm really interested in is not having other people have to suffer to the degree to, yes. to get there. And also, exactly. and also I get that, you know, a Waldorf school, right? There's, there's privilege there, there's tuition, right? It's private, all of that. But what I'd really love to talk about here with you is that if we have some listeners, and I know we will, because I know that this has been heavy on so many parents' minds, also college coming up. Yes. Things are changing. And again, I say I say it with reverence too for all of the pain and anguish and fear that's coming up for people. But there is something here I think that is so extraordinary happening in the breakdown of so many systems at once. Absolutely. And I just really want people out there to hear what an extraordinary opportunity is available to start pursuing other alternative ways of maybe looking at how you want to redesign. Yes, in all of the ways, because it's not we're going to need to be doing something different like this. This is an opportunity 
to co-create a new normal. It is an opportunity to co-create a new normal that is actually using the language and practice of humanness, of humanity, and not of perpetuating something that is systemic and that will pivot and meet us wherever we are if we are not deliberate and consistent. Because of course, Waldorf and spaces like that, I'm in conversation, especially now, (laughs) with lots of people in those spaces, because as much as it can be wonderful, again, if, if it's not inclusive, if there are entire groups of people who, not just because of money, cannot feel comfortable and safe in those spaces, is it humane? The answer is no, it is not. No. So without these conversations and without the voices of the people who have been oppressed, which includes children, without their voices and not just their voices for the sake of representation, but for redesign, as you mentioned, for co-creating new culture. Those are the things that we need to do. We need to allow for these uncomfortable conversations and they cannot be led by the same people who were leading them before because those people do not have the knowledge and practice of of trying to create something else. They are too far steeped in what is. Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity for a new normal. And I love that you brought up college again because that's very much also one of the systems of oppression. Not self, but the idea that your entire life is oriented towards getting your kid into college. So you make $30,000 a year, yet everything that you're doing, so you're not at home because you work in two jobs and you're doing all of these things so your kid can get to college and they get there and they're in debt and maybe they have some great classes and they learn some things and they leave and they're not even in a better position than you. How is that progress? So these are the conversations we have to have. And I know why college feels really good you know, again, as I talk about by POC communities, we fought so hard just even for the right to, to have education. So it feels really scary to be like, what, what do you mean? Well, they're not going to be in school. Do you know how hard? No, mm-hmm. for me, the unschooling movement is the evolution of Brown versus the Board of Education. This is what we fought for, for the right to educate in a way that is around liberation and knowledge of self and community, not at the cost of all those things. Oh, I'm speechless. I really am. I, I, <laughs> I'm really wanting to, I mean, there's so many different things going through my head, but it's this, it's this kind of excited urgency is, is what I'm going to call it because it's almost like I can't think of a, just a more worthy conversation about kind of the unschooling of America for heaven's sakes. Yes. Love it. The world. The, the world. world. Yes. Because it's everywhere. These isms have been really fortunate since we've been unschooling. You know, we've been in a lot of different countries and spent good amounts of time, often with unschooling communities. And they're usually also tied to social justice work because, again, everything is everything. And as you start to recognize oppression, you see the places where you've been oppressed. That's easy. But you also see the ways that you participate in it. So one of the many beautiful things about unschooling and other forms of self-directed education is that they're often very easily connected to social justice work, which is then going to give us even more language and practice for dismantling, not just addressing, not reform, none of that. Dismantling completely and allowing for something different to emerge. We can do that now. Mm -hmm. We can. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and those who are listening and, you know, really want to partake in that, you know, unschooling as one area is actually a very valid place to to start doing just that. And so I'm wondering what you would say to some of our listeners about how would you encourage them to begin the inquiry? I love that question. <laughs> and I love that you didn't ask me what book they should start with or <laughs> what, what thing. Well, you know, and I get that question, but I think that, again, we have to remember that so much of what is present right now, so much of the opportunity is not about what we don't know or what we cannot do. It is about what we've always known and always felt, mm. but can now honor. So a great place to start if you're hearing this or you've heard anything about unschooling or self-directedness and you're like, yeah, I want to feel that out. Where do I start? Start with your kid or yourself. Start, get a book, get a dedicated notebook or a Google Doc or a Trello board or whatever feels good and start observing what you are noticing, like document what you're noticing. I noticed that my son came downstairs today and talked to me for a few minutes. And typically that doesn't happen. I have to go upstairs and in his room. That felt really good. I want to, I want to invite more of that. I don't know how, I don't even know why he did it, but I want to invite more of that. That's plenty. Mm. You know, it might say, oh, I felt really uncomfortable when I spoke to my friend and it felt like my kids were behind because I didn't actually enforce part two of this curriculum this month. So then I'm going to write and feel, oh, how did that make me feel? And I'm going to take or I'm going to use my phone and record the note and say, yeah, as I really sit with it, it makes me think about that time when I was in the eighth grade and Vanessa said this thing to me. And then it made me feel like I wasn't smart because then my dad asked me, what was I doing? Why Vanessa got an A and I got a C. Oh, that's actually about that then. So maybe then I don't need to, maybe I just need to do more work to see what else is tied to that. So as you busy yourself with de-schooling work, because that's what that is, then what you'll start to recognize are things that happen that are not about something you can think about or plan. It's intuitive. You will intuitively, even if you don't have a good relationship with your intuition, because you are making space and calling in this de-schooling energy, what will happen is intuitively things will show up. You'll ask a question at the right time. You will be quiet instead of trying to make them do something. You will offer them something in their environment that might be useful that they will be receptive to because they're starting to trust you a little more because you're no longer talking at them as much. So then you can just start to partner with what's happening. You don't have to have a plan. But if you slow down, observe, and start to document what you are noticing, that is oftentimes a really great starting point to what might be the best move for you and yours. And of course, what is also coming in as I'm talking to you is this, I want to say argument, but it's it's not an argument. It's a concern. It's a fear. It's, it's oftentimes I hear, well, what about the socialization of children? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. And I just started working with what I'm calling a presence counselor. We kind of took the term guidance counselor, snatched it out of convention. Oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> so I'm working with a group of presence counselors and for this transition from schoolishness to self-directedness. And when that question comes up about what about socialization, what we say is, so tell me about socialization in school. 
So is the idea that you're sitting at a desk looking, somebody's looking at the back of your head, you're looking at somebody else's, the back of their head, somebody's telling you when to go pee, someone's telling you what to do at each time, you know, somebody's validating your level of effort. And then for about an hour during lunch, once you get to maybe high school, then you can just talk amongst your friends because in elementary school, you'll you know be singled out if you're too loud or too whatever. Then you also have recess, which gives you assigned time to do a thing and also to play with friends for a few minutes. Is that socialization? And mm-hmm. during all of this, you're in a space with mostly with people who are your age because of classrooms um, and who live in the, the area that you know that you live in. Is that socialization? Do we as adults feel really prepared to be around people who are different than us? and to hold our boundaries and respect other people's boundaries. Do you feel like you have those skills as a result of being in school? You know, and of course the answer is usually no. No. So you aren't socialized. You were just in a schoolish environment. Socialization happens everywhere but school. Back to the mad question. Back to the, <laughs> exactly. Back to the mad question asking. And just really, I think what I'm hearing is that as our listeners might come up against or bump up against a fear or, you know, kind of the status quo way of thinking and to just start questioning it, start looking at it and and start getting curious. Absolutely. Allow yourself to do that. Question your children, not from a space of like, what are you learning? But a lot of things you can feel through what's present for them and you can ask them what's present for them get more involved in their world you know if they if you have a kid that's a gamer see whether you can sit there for a few minutes without them being like oh my god why are you sitting here you know <laughs> <laughs> ask them about the game yeah. you know like get get involved in the life that they are a part of that doesn't center you or school these are things that we can do and my daughters talk all the time about why their dad and I feel trustworthy to them. That's how we learn a lot of the things. Because they can say what's true for them. They can say something without, they can say, okay, I read this thing about, I don't know, dinosaurs without me being like, great, they're into dinosaurs. Let me get all the dinosaur curriculum that I could ever think of and blah, blah, blah. Like that's what makes an adult trustworthy. Can I share with you what I'm feeling and you don't try to fix it? Mm -hmm. These are things we can do without money. These are things we can do without Wi-Fi. These are things we can do today. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it really, it's its just all of these ways. And and, and what I also want to let our listeners know is we'll put a, a ton of resources in the, you know, in, in the actual podcast blog post. So you'll, you'll certainly have those, but there are plenty of resources around this subject. Yes, they absolutely are. And I'm, of course, as you said, there'll be some notes about it, but a couple of them that I can just say right off the bat, raisingfreepeople.com. That's my site. And what's so beautiful about it, again, is that it will link you to the podcast, Fear of the Free Child, where you'll hear from so many people across different levels of the spectrum of self-directedness and confident autonomy. Um, Also, there's the Alliance for Self-Directed Education, which is self-directed.org, a really useful organization for going down the rabbit hole of unschooling. You will see Tipping Points, which is an online magazine that's connected to the Alliance. You will read, you know, so many pieces from people like me and Peter Gray, a research psychologist who's really deeply into self-directedness as a result of his own relationship with his son. 
Malika Diggs of Eclectic Learning Network, another unschooling mama who does a lot of work around you know, decolonizing our relationships with young people. There are many resources. You do not need to know what to do. You just need to know what you're feeling and to learn over time how to trust what you're feeling because that's going to allow what you need to emerge. That's the law. That's, that is the cosmic law. That is the cosmic law. And I can only imagine that while you stumbled into this, what I'm really hearing is that it has become a way of life. It's become also like where your inner leadership has really taken hold. I just see 100%. Oh my gosh, I see so much possibility coming from this. And and I guess my final question to you, Akila, is what is your vision for the future with you know, your organization raising free people? What what are you wanting to happen? I love it. it it's mad question asking like at a global scale. That's what I want to happen. I want for wording like confident autonomy and trustful partnerships to be normalized in intergenerational relationships. I imagine school being a thing that young people and adults opt in and out of the way that we might do a boot camp for a thing or do a retreat for a thing. Like we understand school as one means of education, but we understand intuition and culture and um, uncommon knowledge that's unique to each person and common knowledge that everybody and their mama knows. <laughs> like all of those things are things that we see as valuable and valid. So I could talk to my grandfather and see him as just as valuable as professor such and such because I have decolonized my idea of learning and I've taken it out of the, the context of school and made it something that is something that is innate as well as something that is ecological. I can pick it anywhere, like when you're in Jamaica and there are fruit trees everywhere and you can just pick a mango and pick an apple and like that. That's the way that I imagine because it's also gonna rehumanize our relationships with each other. Well, and to me, it sounds like heaven on earth. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's just so, it so occurs to me like, gosh, you know, it's that fully permissioned self where we just are constantly giving ourselves permission and like the bounty and the abundance of life is just all around us. Yes, because that permission is... If we're, if we're willing to yes, allow it. Yes, yeah. and also if that permission is not in the way of other people's liberation, because that's, that's one of mm. the things, I'll say this last thing about unschooling, that a big part of the work, the reason that I center my POC voices and communities in it is because... There's a, a perception of unschooling being, again, a rich white thing, but also a thing where it's like, oh, kids just do whatever they want. The freedom is about doing whatever. No, liberation mm-hmm. <laughs> comes with responsibility. It comes with accountability. Otherwise, it is not liberation because everybody ain't free. So then it's not liberation. So mm-hmm. as we're looking at being free to do and say and think and be in all of that is also how am I in the way of someone else's capacity to do that? And do I have the skills to work through that and to fix that? That is an important part of unschooling that doesn't get talked about enough. Well, I cannot wait for the book to come Thank out. You. I mean, I'm just, I, I, I wish this conversation could go on forever. 
Thank you. I just honor your time so much. This is such an important and compelling conversation. It always has been, but I'm going to assert, especially now. And, you know, just thank your family for allowing me to have you for this time. Thank Chris, and of course, Marley and Sage. And I hope that we can do this again soon, because I know that there are additional conversations I'd love to I'd love to bring online with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful what you're doing to really talk about, you know, those hidden things, those things that are not so much hidden, but more so just not out in the open enough. And I'm really grateful to have the conversation. So Thank you for your ear and for the space to do this. Absolutely. All right. So more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.